my god! Oh my god! Listen, I need all available backup at 2240 Sycamore. 2240 Sycamore. There's no backup What the hell happened, Mackley? He's dead. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are talking about Twin Peaks The Return, Episode 11. That's that's what we're doing. Uh, this episode, believe it or not, was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch, and it was directed by David Lynch. It first aired on July 23rd, 2017. Uh, on this episode... Stephen Burnett's infidelities drive Becky to rage and her parents to the double R. Richard Horn's attempted cover-up has seemingly failed. Bill Hastings takes the FBI to the Briggs site and has some bad luck as Gordon nearly enters the zone. The Mitchums set out to deal with an enemy, but instead they find a friend. And Hawk has a map with more information than he is willing to share. And that's what happened. That's it. Yeah, that's what happened. That is what happened. That's it. This week on Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought this uh, episode was amazing. Uh, yeah, same. It was great. It was great. It. Um, oh, we should mention before, sorry, it just occurred to me, Jake is on vacation right now and is recording over Skype. So if the audio seems a little lower quality, it's because he's not in the studio. And if you're watching yeah, this I'm, on a video, uh, that's why it looks like how it looks. I'm recording actually from a few miles out of Hungry Horse, Montana. Oh, shit. Which is a, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm trapped inside a Hungry Horse, or I'm trapped next to a Hungry Horse. Um, so, you know, if if my audio does anything weird, it's probably, like, the zone-related, because I imagine that anywhere Twin Peaks references is probably, we'll, we'll just consider it the zone. There's probably a zone, um, yeah. It's probably a zone-related zone, zone related issue. Um, if I disappear, you, you'll have to grab me uh, abruptly by my shirt collar and sort of pull me back, Chris. So, sure. Yeah, I'll um, reach out and just kind of jerk you. Just kind of nudge me, and yeah. then it'll be fine. Yep. Um, yeah. If I start, <laughs> if I turn into a video effect, <laughs> you'll know. You'll know that the zone has me yeah, now. You'll, well, uh, I'll have plenty of warning because you'll get kind of bl- a little blurry first. <laughs> I'm watching you on a screen right now, so I assume all of those screen effects will come through. Uh yeah. They'll. Yeah. The yes. Um, but yeah, this episode was a great episode it it um it hit an amazing balance between sort of a really consistent feeling of like what i think is the closest to the twin peaks that people know and love from the first two seasons while also entirely everything in it is contingent on and still feels part of the experience of season three so far it was really good yeah i agree it i i totally agree it felt um there was a really good balance of sort of goofiness and seriousness and um, just really specific character moments, um, yep. which is something something that I really think of as being quintessentially Twin Peaks, um, but yep. also has the general tone and style, obviously, of this season. Um, just I, I just enjoyed watching this episode from start to finish. Oh, yeah. It was great. It was great. Had that uh, that barfing kid. You have the 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 <laughs> everything with Mitchums. Bobby was fantastic. This episode, oh, it's incredible so to good. me how much that character is. Essentially, every time he's on screen, it's like my favorite thing in this season. I know, uh, yeah, unexpected, and it just now every time Bobby has shown up, yeah, it's been like I, I'm looking forward to learning and seeing more of Bobby Briggs in Twin Peaks season three, yep. like uh, the most. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So this this well, episode opens with a scene that is not something we ever would have seen qu- I think quite to that. No, that's not true. I guess we're not Pulaski is pretty brutalized in Yeah, in, when she comes stumbling yeah, in. Yeah, that's probably the closest yeah. comparison we have in Twin Peaks. Uh but it was definitely a very David Lynch scene generally yep. of Miriam who um Richard Horn attempted to murder sort of crawling out of the woods. Weird. Before we actually talk about that scene for real, was the way that it was 
shot or edited or something confusing to you where it looked like there were two kids and then suddenly there were three kids and then suddenly there were three yeah i couldn't tell that was really what strange. was the deal with that continuity or or what but yeah it <laughs> some number of kids between two and three were playing catch yeah <laughs> i only mentioned Miriam it because it felt almost like a mistake or something it was so odd um, yeah it was hard it's hard it was weird it was slightly confusing yeah anyway uh that was just a really sort of that was just a very intense, unsettling scene. And the way she was sort of pulling herself forward as the camera was pushing towards her, I thought was yeah. just amazing. I thought it was incredible. It was really good. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's That was it. That's all we got from that plot thread this episode. Yeah, we got, so I mean, you know. this episode, um, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about this uh, last week, I don't think, but when, um, when Deputy Chad tries to intercept Miriam's note. Yeah. People on the internet noticed that the last name on the on the letter was different than Sullivan mm. and suspected that maybe Chad had messed up and we'd gone, oh, and you know, I'd been thinking, oh, maybe we're going to see Richard Horn's murder plot unravel because of that. But now that we know that she's actually alive and is in contact with people, it seems like Richard Horn's life and times are going to fall apart at the seams. All that said, you would think that um, his life would have fallen apart at the seams given that like two dozen people saw him run over that kid in the first place. But um, seemingly no one has reported it to the police other than Miriam, which is a little bit strange. But um, Yeah, that is, that is very odd. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had thought this is the most outrageous reach in the world, but uh-huh. um, the deputy who is working with Bobby way later in the episode who right. says that he hurt, he was at, at a uh, big Ed's gas farm and there were gunshots. Yeah. I thought that maybe like in the back of my mind, like the reach was that he was for some reason out involved. Like maybe he is the other person who we haven't seen. Who's actually involved in the run, the hit and run of that kid and is involved in investigating Richard Horn and whatever mm-hmm. else. And maybe that's why he was there. That, that is a meaningless thing to say. Was, but, was that um, the same deputy who, wants to show Truman his car or was that a different guy? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. He really wants to show off his car, I guess. (laughs) Well, anyway, yeah, that was a very, it was a very short scene, but a really impactful way to start off. What is a a pretty like propulsive episode in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the next thread that, that begins on the episode is uh, Becky who is, enraged at Stephen, her husband, Becky and Stephen Burnett. Mm-hmm. They're married, but it's he like, is like cheating on her and she drives to that woman's apartment, I guess. I think that's what's going on. And the woman um, he's cheating on her with is apparently Gretchen Hayward. Yeah. Is that she, the, the girl, the girl who I, uh, yeah, the girl who we last saw playing piano <laughs> in the Haywood house, like over the credit sequence, I think when she's just like playing the, the piece on the piano, she's, yeah, she's Donna's young, like really little sister is now Stephen Burnett's mistress, I guess. Yeah. What a weird, <laughs> what a weird connection. <laughs> Unexpected. So we've seen, uh, Doc Hayward and we've seen, is it Gersten? Oh, is it Gersten? Yeah, sorry. I yeah, it was Gersten Gretchen. Hayward. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Um, and that may be all of the Hayward family that we see. What a strange collection of Haywards. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that doesn't really matter for the purpose of the what actually happens in the episode. But I loved this thread because it in, it's it actually interleaves her life with that of her parents who is now who are now confirmed to be Shelley and Bobby who were married and Shelley still has his name but are they do not seem to any longer be married or they're separated or they're separated yeah who married, knows who knows but um the interaction between those three characters in this scene I thought was amazing um yeah, I mean I guess be- I guess before we get to that we should talk about uh all of the insane <laughs> insane stuff that happens where Shelly's yeah. like on the hood of the car. Oh my yeah. God. That was crazy. Shelly's insane car stunts. Yeah. Like Shelly getting th- thrown off the car into the lawn of the fat trout. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing was, that whole scene was 
bananas in a way that did feel very quintessentially Twin Peaks to me, even yes. though it was like of a level of outrageousness and like sort of just physical action that we don't usually see. Like the, but just it felt in the, tone with Twin Peaks, definitely. Yeah. The way that the way that Shelly's holding onto the car while screaming at her daughter while the car is spinning around, like it's a, it's an it, it, yeah, the level of intensity there that is just like slightly more manic than it has any business being is actually really reminiscent of like when Leland is on the casket and it's going up and down or when they're trying to, um, in season two, when they're trying to give Leo the like uh, sort of like lifting apparatus, like just those are both <laughs> right, really right. ridiculous yeah, examples that's a, that's of machines example, going crazy, yeah. but just because it involves the physical really, comedy. Yeah. Heightened physicality. And then to have that, um, the, uh, be followed up by Carl summoning his Volkswagen yeah. van by playing into a tube, like a tube a little, like, flute. like tin whistle or whatever that was. Yeah. But yeah. it was like a huge tin whistle. Yeah, it was yeah. like a huge copper pipe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like that all back to back was, uh, was very, was very Twin Peaksy. Yep. That was incredible. And really, really good. Yep. Um, <laughs> why does Carl summon his car with a pipe? Who cares? It's great. Uh, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Um, so they go to the double, uh, they go to the double R or rather, yeah, he Carl gives yeah. Shelley a ride to the double R. I enjoyed oh. that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, the the way that the way that Carl uh, just has a CB and he can talk straight to the dispatch person and they're like yeah. on really good small oh, yeah. town terms. Yeah. I thought was great. That was like that also was ah, this episode is very good. That was also um, how we, I think how we learned that Shelley's last name was actually Briggs. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You could kind of tell from before that when he said, "Why don't you just call Bobby?" and Shelley got uncomfortable. It was like, "Oh, I think this is that's where this is going." Sure, because Carl just sort of acts like it's a no-brainer that Shelley should call Bobby. Yeah, and like maybe he didn't. Maybe he's not fully up on their sure. relationship state. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about that double R scene? Yeah, uh, in, as, in depth. As a quick note, before we mm-hmm. get into the substance of it, I really enjoyed the frequent cross-cutting to Norma just sort of rolling her eyes or being like, give me a fucking break just I know. to herself constantly because she's literally been seeing this stuff, the same exact kind of thing for decades now yep. involving, yep. I mean, in particular involving Shelly, who's like, you know, her, one of her best friends. Um, I yeah. really enjoyed that little detail. Yep. It was good. What in it in particular do you want to talk about? Oh, um, I mean, I thought it was, I thought the, in particular, the just interactions between Shelly and Bobby were extremely touching. It was that, it was a, I thought it was a really beautifully rendered picture of two people who have shared an enormous amount over their lives. Obviously, they raised a child together for some length of time. Obviously, we don't know how long they were Mm -hmm. actively together while that was happening um, and sort of drifted apart to some degree for probably the exact same reasons that they got together in the first place. Right. I mean, we see, which was to bilk Leo out of insurance money. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I just mean like, obviously Shelly has similar taste in men that she always has as long as we've known her Um, and seeing how just over the moon she is when red shows up and how bummed, Bobby is by this, even though, you know, obviously he knows they are not currently together. Um, right. It was, it, it was a way to communicate a lot with relatively little because we already know so much about those characters from the two existing seasons of Twin Peaks that we've right. all seen. Yep. I, I thought they paid, they, I thought that they took advantage of those characters' existing histories and the, I think, increased ability of those actors to act with their eyes and with their faces with a, yep. an extremely impressive level of nuance that at least Dana Ashbrook was maybe not quite as capable of when he was younger. Although this has given me such a greater appreciation for Dana Ashbrook that I feel like I should go back and rewatch Twin Peaks again I, to appreciate Bobby more. Same. I, I feel like, yeah, we've always liked Bobby, but maybe given him uh, a little a little less credit than he deserves. But yeah, both both these actors felt it just felt like what you would hope that seeing a scene with these two characters after twenty five years would feel like, you know. And they, yeah, just purely from a filmic as a filmic note, 
the shot of Becky driving in the car with that incredibly tight close up mm-hmm. on her face, I thought was a really, really cool mirror to when we first saw her in a car in the convertible with uh, oh, Steven yep. and it, it's a completely different face shot from a different angle in a different car. And so everything about it was producing a different effect, but it was, it's a very wonderful, it's like a, it's like apples They're to apples. Good echoes of each other. Yeah. yeah. I, I just really, really like that detail. And it was also just a very unsettling shot. Yeah. What did you think about red showing up and being, oh, being Shelly? It was such a bummer guy. I think it worked really, really well. I really liked as like an appreciator of the show, I really liked it. As a person who likes, who has affection for these characters, it was such a bummer. Because it's yep. obviously a terrible, it's just a terrible idea. It's obviously terrible. Yeah. The way that Shelly's face lit up basically like a teenager yeah, and Bobby yeah. was like, oh, geez. Yeah. Okay, well, you grew up less than I thought, I guess, yeah. basically. Like, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was both, it was both good and disappointing uh, at the same time. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say about Becky, but I- Becky's Becky's an, another character in Twin Peaks season three, where I sort of feel like it's hard to have complete thoughts about her until we see more and more and more of the show. Sure. But, um, I think the actress is doing a good job. I think she's a good character, but anyway, yeah. uh, a gun explodes. Bobby, Bobby Briggs. Yeah. This scene, this like long weird scene that starts off with the gun being discharged and then Bobby and it turns out, okay, it's not actually anything to worry about, but it just keeps getting more and more and more unsettling and uh, ominous and portentous until that kind of ominous vibe is entirely shattered by an actual incredibly fucked up thing just happening front and center. It was the it was such a great example of Twin Peaks dread. And like, I mean, I guess this is like Lynchian, right? To use that stupid word, uh, that sense <laughs> of like, even before anything really goes disastrously wrong, like even before we get to the point where anything is actually definitely subjective, like objectively terrible, um, you just as the viewer know and Bobby somehow intuits that something is very weird. I think it's partly because at the beginning of it, even though it seems like it's better, like it's like the gunshot happens and it's totally terrifying. And you're like, you know, is, is Steven back with a gun or is there, is this some whatever, you know, Richard Horn, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, okay, well it's a totally messed up thing, but it's at least benign and dealt with. But the fact that that woman keeps honking her horn and that kid, that kid has that outrageously assertive pose, just staring Bobby down and like, the, the the family dynamics never of of the three of the three family members in the minivan just it's not backing down yeah. and the woman is honking their horn and I think that the fact that the scene should have de-escalated but doesn't is 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 what you know creates that sort of universal sense of dread including in Bobby of just like this okay this isn't taking care of itself even though I took care of it mm-hmm. and then and then that's because it's actually continuing to step up I I think that um this whole this whole uh like I guess I guess Briggs family arc starting with the beginning of the stuff in the fat trout up and through that kid barfing is a pretty good like micro episode or microcosm of Twin Peaks uh, sort of dread and suffering and bad decisions and how that spirals out in and of itself across this episode. Like it was it was a uh, it was a pretty consistent through line yeah. that somehow culminates in that in that outrageous uh, yelling woman and her barfing kid i mean bad decisions including like generation spanning right i mean that yes. was one of the things that was so poignant i thought about this entire sequence is bobby goes and i mean this is very obvious i mean it was obvious it was front and center right in in the mm-hmm. this whole sequence but like bobby goes from witnessing his daughter kind of make these destructive relationship choices that both he and his wife or ex-wife have you know made in their youth sees this understands how little he or Shelley can do do about it um immediately goes outside see this little kid who's adopting a kind of similarly belligerent pose to his dad and just staring bobby down you 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 say that you know it is it is sort of that cyclical generation thing and it's very very is you know very obvious in some ways with Bobby and Shelley, then that kid and his dad, but it all plays as such a real and dread inducing yeah. 
string of events that you don't really see it as a detached sort of symbolic thing. No, you just all, see it yeah. as, oh my God, Bobby is just like drowning in this and his whole family is drowning in it yep. and the whole town is drowning yeah. in it. Is it like by the end of that, it's just, oh, this is just overbearing on everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, that screaming lady was out of control. Oh my God, also. I know. <laughs> what a good, what a, what a good yeah. monologue. Also talk about uh, bearing the lead. He's <laughs> like, oh, we're late for dinner or whatever. Yeah, that's not the that's not the headline yeah. here. Um, yeah, that that was just a a bizarre. I mean, I have no clue if any of that's gonna connect to anything. But I don't care. Oh my god, what an amazing, strange that's, scene. The way that the the way that the the kid or whatever the young person, whoever that was, rolls up out of the shadows yeah. Uh, yeah. of the car. I mean, it felt like a zombie movie and looked like one, but it was just, I was not expecting that to happen inside of what seemed to basically be one giant master shot. Oh, you weren't expecting that 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 to happen, Jake? That's shocking that you weren't expecting that to happen. I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, Chris. You're you're right. Whereas I'm sure uh, everyone else watching saw that woman hogging the horn and went, there's going to be like a barfing zombie that comes out (laughs) from behind her. (laughs) It was classic tropes. The way she rose up out of the seat was kind of reminiscent of uh, Annie, I think, in the Red Room. Is that like when she's in bed with? Is it Car- in is Laura's it Car- dream? Is it Carolyn, man, guess who? Guess who's good at this Twin Peaks podcast? Yeah, us I know. right Sorry now. Sorry about that. It it just it, no, I know. It's, it, it's, it, one of our friends pointed this out to us, and I it really struck. It really rang a bell for me as well. And I can't, I can't. Uh, I should have yeah. gone back and watched I, those episodes. I can't remember exactly where I've seen that style of of, of sort of movement and sort of appearing into the, into the sort of presence of everyone else, but it felt like the sort of thing that we've seen before, except that in this case, then a person just started <laughs> vomiting oh my wildly, God. just like yeah. oozing barf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my notes just say, she keeps screaming as the kid keeps barfing. <laughs> yeah, mine says... <laughs> Sick girl vomiting, driver screaming, Bobby baffled. <laughs> what is my day? What is my life? Yeah. What is reality? Yep. Uh, says Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that's all I have for that scene, unless there's anything else you wanted to mention. No, I think that's that's it. It was one of the one of my favorite. Like this whole this whole thread is one of my favorite like half hours of Twin Peaks. Yeah, as I agree. It, for for all time, I think. Me too. Um, I, I agree. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the FBI investigation? Yeah, let's talk about the FBI investigation because that was um, cross cut actually between these scenes. I think. Um, not that it, not that there's any any connection between them, but that's yeah, that's another early early thread in this episode. Yeah. Um, we open with the uh, Buckhorn police and the FBI all rolling up to that that vacated lot yeah. and it's revealed to be where Hastings saw Major Briggs and where they went to the zone. Yep. Um so one of the first things that one of the first kind of weird bits of information we give here we get here is when Cole asks Al- Albert think there's one in there. What do you think mm-hmm. he means? So for the for the last several episodes, there has been there have been a lot of exchanges between Gordon and Albert that mm-hmm. could either be read as kind of just innocent shorthand for just things that we would assume they know, given what we have seen them see, but also could right. very easily be read to suggest that they know much more than we have seen them know. And right. this feels like and, one of those lines. Yeah, it felt like a shorthand that was so aggressively shorthanded that it was meant to keep the subject of conversation out of the ears, not just of the audience, but of Diane or Preston, Preston. and the Buckhorn yeah. PD and Diane. Yeah. Like anyone else who's there was meant to not be able to divine what they're talking about, I think. And I couldn't tell if they were talking about a person, like a human being, right. or a like some black lodge character or you know which could include the woodsman or what i what i sort of thought later on is that what they were talking about was it, it, you know whatever this is like a, a place where you can pass 
through into that world right. or like a, a weak spot in the in in our reality or just a door I, you know there is there a photoshop twirl filter here i think is what he was asking and the answer is definitively yes there is um, <laughs> yeah it, there's a place where the sky bends and you can see a staircase yeah it's just a weird thing to say unless you've already encountered the thing you're expecting to maybe find yep um, he also said, I, uh, I don't think these are directly related, but he does say it after we, the audience, first see a woodsman pass by. But I don't think he mm-hmm. noticed. I don't think he has noticed it at that point yet. But I could be wrong. No, I, I don't think so either. I, the, the, the fact that you see a woodsman creeping around made me think that Cole was talking about that. But they all, we kept seeing shots of them seemingly see the woodsman and react. But then later in the episode, it sounded like none of them actually had very concrete memories of what they saw or were withholding information from each other. Well, Cole, um, Cole like, says like he's, that he saw one in a couple cases, but they, but he refers to instances after that very first sighting, after that. Oh, right. That's right. And Albert says that he saw him and describes yeah. him as looking like a homeless yeah, person yeah, yeah. and, and whatever. Cole's so they, like, they oh, saw I them. saw that or whatever. Yeah. Right. Diane was the one whose recollection was... Seemed explicitly dishonest. Yeah, it seemed it seemed very shady because we saw what what we saw her see was a woodsman creeping up towards the car yeah. right before Hastings dies, and then she said, "Oh, I think I saw one get out of a car, maybe, but I might not remember that correctly." Whereas it it felt like we saw her. Well, she very just says, "I think I saw see... one of them leave a car." I mean, she just says that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but but we we saw her see much more than that, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, which means she would have just seen Bill Hastings' head explode. But um, whatever, no, she, that's getting ahead was, of, our, of ourselves. No, I, I watched that scene again, and she is actually – it is, I believe, pretty clear that she is looking away at the moment his head explodes. Okay. Yeah. But she sees she the turns, before she and turns after her head back stuff. once the police officer goes, oh, my God, or whatever he says. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, anyway, so – uh, all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I I also loved this scene. I, I loved everything in this episode, but I, I loved this scene. I loved the way that we saw Cole sort of approach the boundary of the zone and have these weird visions. I love the way that from Albert's vantage point, it almost saw like we were seeing half of what Gordon was seeing. It's not clear to me if that was meant to actually be Gordon's perspective or uh, Albert's perspective or just a slightly more pulled back shot. But it, I think it's, I think it is supposed to be different characters perspectives. And I think the farther you get from the center point, the more it looks normal because we also saw some very wide shots that were literally just Gordon raising his hands in the air. And it was in perfectly crisp focus, like just dead ambient sound, uh, you know? So it, it seemed like, your ability to perceive it was definitely related yeah. to how, like to your proximity to whatever that hole in space was. I think so too. And I, I loved how that was just shot and edited. I thought it was really cool. Yep. Um, I, I, I mean the, you know, the vortex was kind of cheesy in the way these effects sometimes are, but I really liked the total effect of everything a lot. Oh with yeah. The sort of elect, the electricity sounds, which are obvious just since Firewalk with me have be, have been incredibly, central to twin peaks lore stuff yep i actually i, I thought the, the entire location in general felt yeah felt great and at home like the the abandoned abandoned lot on the sort of just huge field but then the piece of it that was the most intact to me that felt like it was always sort of hanging off in the periphery of the establishing shots was like uh, the electric company monitoring meter and all of the huge power mains going into that space. Like it reminded me so much of the way that the like fat trot trailer park was filmed and that the, the choice for that location in fire walk with me, where it's just this sort of dumpy, almost derelict place. But uh, Lynch has Lynch shoots it so that you see all of the, like all of the electrical infrastructure coming in off and off yeah, in the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, uh, and the the vortex effect. Well, yeah, we we both can agree it's cheesy. I, it almost had a disarming effect on me because of that. I agree. When I first saw the sky twist, I was like, okay, yeah, ha ha, here we go. Like good cheesy effect, but the intensity, like it, yep. the effect itself seemed to also get more elaborate and complicated. But also just yeah, the, it was almost fractal like. Yeah, and the and the 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 way that it would cut between it and Cole and Albert and Diane all watching it and seeing different pieces of it and it getting more and more intense. And then to the point that Cole starts strobing out and his, uh, and starts disappearing. Uh, and the way that 
even just the way that this guy opened up to the to the view of the woodsman on the stairs yep like it, it ended up being like super captivating and i was actually really nervous to yeah. as to what was going to end up happening so both by the end of that yeah totally that david lynch has a really um he has a knack as a director for doing something that is it's a pretty standard trick in cinema right which is the slow push zoom um mm-hmm. you know which cr- often creates a sense of like depending on what's being shown on the screen, either dread or sort of grandeur or like steadfastness or whatever. There's a bunch of different things that can signify, but he picks such great moments and framing to do that. It always, I always feel like it just punches really big. And in this episode, we have that at the beginning of the episode onto Miriam's just utterly wrecked body. And then in this scene into the vortex where in the middle of the vortex, before we, um, before it actually, before it goes to the staircase with the woodsman, it's just a black circle. Before the black mm-hmm. circle sort of opens into that staircase, and when we're pushing into that, that was the moment at which I almost felt like my heart was skipping a beat because it felt like we were just being pulled into this empty, infinite void, and it really mirrored that Miriam shot to me where. On, in that shot, we're pushing into this just utter bleakness. Like we're seeing the result of, you know, in that shot with her, we're seeing the result of a completely monstrous person's just rampage of destruction. And then here we're seeing, we're, we're pushing into um, just a d- dismal void. And I just that this episode had a lot of, of moments of kind of, a lot of cyclical moments and resonance and echoes that I thought were incredibly um, striking and effective. I mean, we've had a lot of those moments of, of, of echo and resonance in Twin Peaks season three so far, but now, you know, now that we're in the back half of, of the season and we have so much more context for things, it, it feels those, those are f- f- landing to me more than just curiosities at this point. And it's, I'm actually sort of, yeah, feeling them on a more emotional level than I felt before, I think. Yep. I think that's true. Uh, I want to, I want to quickly, um, just give a shout out to the hilarious tiny performance of the, uh, Buckhorn. Is he Buckhorn PD or is he, I forget who he is. I don't know is. if it's a PD or a sheriff. Yeah. I think he, I uh, think he's Buckhorn PD, but uh, in any case, uh, the actor who portrayed that character, his, like his reaction to Bill Hastings' head being squeezed off, basically, I thought was just hilarious and really, really raw and good. I thought so too. I thought so too. Yeah. Like that guy is is one of those characters who I think is never going to get enough screen time in Twin Peaks season three for like what he actually brings to the table as a, as a guy, sort of in the background of a lot of scenes, helping support them. Yeah. So the woodsman inside that staircase room did that seem? Well, when I watched it, I I thought that it looked really similar to a lot of the sort of lodge spaces that we've seen, especially the room above the convenience store in Fire Walk With Me, yeah. which is the room yeah. that Laura gets to by walking through her painting. And then I saw people online point out that maybe the same wallpaper and sort of wood finish of those sets is on that stairwell. And if so, that makes sense to me for no real tangible reason other than, I guess, it's just another time that we've seen a character kind of almost step into that space by just walking through a hole in the world. And I don't know. I don't know what that means, but yeah, I uh, mean, it's, it seems relevant in that that's where it, the, we saw the, those least. characters come from. Yeah. I mean, Oh, right. Yeah. I guess that's true. The, the, the woodsmen were actually in that room in fire walk with me or a woodsman was, yeah. I mean, it's just nice having those, having details like that carry through over that, over that many years. Yep. There's, they find uh Ruth Davenport's body as well. Yeah. Um, that's another sort of concrete thing that happens. There are coordinates on her arm, which Albert photographs. I've seen mm-hmm. some people, this is like a degree of speculation that I, I don't need to like go into at great detail because we'll just find out eventually anyway. But I've seen people suggest that uh, Albert and Gordon were acting in such a way to sort of intentionally draw Diane's attention and make sure she knew they took a photograph and then conspicuously show the photograph and let her see it. Um, maybe as almost a like fishing experiment to see if she would 
text those coordinates out to right. Bad Coop. But who, yep. but who knows? I thought that was an interesting um, theory, though. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. I, it seemed, no matter what, that there was some level of sort of tension and anxiety about that information share happening. Yeah. Uh, I guess before we get there, there's uh, before that moment, there's like, I, I really liked the stuff with uh, Gordon and Albert once we cut back to the actual, I guess it's the, the Buckhorn PD, presumably. It's a Buckhorn PD, yeah. yeah. Um, I like their whole exchange about the cat on a hot tin roof and the, like, I, I can't even remember the entire exchange, but there was uh, just a good, stupid example. It was a good little of sort the of. Gordon Cole um, kind of mishearing and Albert's deadpan and everything. It was just a fun moment. I liked it. And Gordon, when when Bill Hastings' head explodes, also by the way, I'm really <laughs> bummed that Bill Hastings oh, is not know, on the yeah. show what anymore. Like, what a what a good performance and good character he's been. But yeah. Gordon, looking at that, waiting a beat, and then just saying he's dead. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> really good. Preston rolling her eyes. Yeah, really good. Uh, when we cut into that scene that you were just talking about in the in the Buckhorn PD with Gordon and Albert and Diane. Uh, did you notice that? I mean, the, the first thing that's happening is Gordon's hand is shaking involuntarily, yeah. which is actually something we've seen before. That's why I think he that says "cat on a hot tin roof." Yeah, well, he's saying that about his hand shaking, but I don't know if those characters know. It was, I think, in the last episode of season two when everything's really starting to go down. Um, gosh, what is the exact moment that it happens? But uh, Gerard and a few other characters mm. have their hands start actually shaking. Well, doesn't that happen to um, Philip Gerard on a couple occasions? Well, there have been, pl- there have been times in, in firewalk with me, both um, Laura and Teresa Banks's arm has gone numb, but yeah, I think Mike, you've seen Mike's uh, just sort of the, the, the end of his severed arm twitches, but also um, Cooper and Pete's hands both shook uncontrollably mm. for a, for a brief moment towards the end of season two. And I don't, know what the direct what the direct connection is but it seems like it's because either you know bob is coming back or there's some transition transitioning event occurring between between worlds who knows sure uh i i I tried to look up in a few places what people thought that meant and there's not to my to my knowledge any sort of fan consensus or anything on what the on what the arm twitching and numbness means um it's generally been in proximity to someone going into the lodge or bob coming out of the lodge or someone dying because of one of these characters but i thought you know it's just one more of those sort of yeah consist consistent things that echoes back to when these characters were getting too close to all of this stuff in previous seasons but now it's happening to gordon cole yeah that's a good Um, point there's been this episode this episode had a few instances of surprisingly of, of callbacks to really specific old Twin Peaks stuff that just came as a surprise to me. Um, Are you referring to the cherry pie stuff at the end of the episode? Uh, no, I'm referring more to what seems like a reference to Garmin Bosia. Oh, in, in regards to Hawk Hawk's map and yeah, the black, and the, yeah, the, yep. Black corn and the black corn plus fire, whatever it was. Yep. Yeah. Do you want to actually just move over to talk about that scene since you brought it up? Uh, yeah, we can do that. But but uh, first, we should just finish off this one. Oh, is there more? Well, is there more? No, FBI? I mean the, the additional stuff is just a couple coal things that I really enjoyed, including. Okay. I mean, speaking of references to the original Twin Peaks run, uh, we get the tray of coffee and donuts brought in, to which Cole explains, "Ah, the policeman's dream," which is just a direct yeah. Agent Cooper quote, which. There's no way for Cole to have ever heard Cooper say unless that is somehow right. a thing that Cooper the, the, had said on multiple occasions. But I just I love right, that. Or both of them had said that right. together yeah, years yeah. ago or whatever. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was it was good. Uh, I mean, that was, such, that was just a fan service thing, but I enjoyed it. And then also uh, it, it, it tracked. It played well. Also, Cole, when he's talking about the uh, the um, the woodsman and he's like he's sort of remembering more of it as he talks. It seems like where, you know, presumably because those visions are almost dreamlike, uh, they seem fleeting, right? Almost from the character's perspective and his sort of excited exclamation of, I saw them in a room, dirty bearded men in a room. 
was just very enjoyable. Yeah. The like repetition of in a yeah. room, which is, it's just a good, stupid <laughs> line. I love it. The least helpful know, way to communicate yeah, exactly. that to the other it people. Means nothing. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, we know what he's talking about. We're glad he's remembering it. Right. But yeah, he's just a room yeah. could be literally anything. Yep. Um, yeah. So we can talk about Hawk and Truman. That was the only bit of that thread in this whole episode. So that's pretty, pretty quick. Um, I thought this scene was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I sort of, the longer it went on, the more I, I kind of wasn't that into it. I mean, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see like, oh, there's corn and it's this sort of black corn that is, you know, bad. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Like, I, I think I know what that's supposed to be in the context of Twin Peaks, you know, because we've all that gross creamed corn and everything. But then but at the moment we get to the part that I want to know which is also the part that Truman wants to know. Hawk says, oh, you don't want to know what that symbol, you don't want to know what that is. And Truman's yep. like, oh, I don't? Nope, you don't. It's like, don't. why it's would like, you really not? Really, you don't. Like, are you kidding? I just thought, I thought that was obnoxious. Like, that doesn't seem true to how any actual person would act in that circumstance. Like, they're going right, no, they to would... the, <laughs> walk to this place. They're going to, things are going to happen. I mean, right? Yeah. If just why would Hawk, you, if not, you actually believe these things to be true, and you do, um, and knowing what you know, yeah, we are going to go through with this plan. What do you believe is going to be happening yeah. when we get there, based on this information? Like that's a reasonable question to ask. But um, instead, they went for uh, an attempt at dread plus lore, which does not usually work on Twin Peaks. You can usually. Uh, you can get away with dread or you can try and occasionally inch by with lore. But when you try to put them on top of each other, it doesn't, it usually makes me do an agent Preston. eye roll. Um, I think that's a good, I think that's well said. Yeah. Yep. Um, I did uh, the one piece of lore that I did kind of enjoy was I mm-hmm. liked the linking of sort of fire and electricity. Um, oh yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah. The way that he, the way that he described it's it, it being a symbol yeah. Like the fire there is a symbol, but it's more yeah, the 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 way that the way that was written and um the way that the way that the Hawk, like the Michael Horse delivered that just felt like it made me wish that they hadn't gone further in the scene because that was yeah, like, right? a really exactly. good yeah, it feels like, like made it made it made all that stuff feel elemental and timeless in a way that it doesn't always they don't always land, even yep. though this this seems very much like how what what those guys feel about how all this imagery should feel. Like what? How how Frost and Lynch feel about it? And it was that was that communicated it really tightly. Mm-hmm. I agree. I thought, and it's just it was surrounded by so much other stuff that it, it was kind of a bummer. But yep. but I, I did really like that one detail. And I also, even though it's so similar to other examples of that from this season, I still enjoyed uh, the log lady calling Hawk and yep. talking to her. A, a thing I really enjoyed about this scene is that there were two cases where she repeated the same sentence twice in a row, and mm-hmm. I just thought that the way those lines were delivered. I mean, again, the probably was the same actual um, shooting session from all the other ones. It's it's looked and sounded the same, but you know, they were, they're so effective. And I think the actress just does such a great, beautiful job with those lines that I, I still really enjoyed it. Yep. Just the way that those two characters have very different, but deep spiritual connections to the place that they live and the way that they both, they both believe in and support each other's sort of way of seeing the world and very um, sort of spirituality first look at the world. Like I, I really, this, this season, all of their interactions have felt really good in, in that way. Yeah. Just the way that there's just the, the, the sort of human level trust. And then also that, just that connection feels really strong all the time. You know, you know, it just occurred to me in the context of the, I think everything you just said is totally right. Um, but a thing that just occurred to me in the context of the chronic illness that the, that, you know, Margaret is, is, um, mm-hmm. shown to have, uh, very visibly with the, with the breathing equipment and everything hooked up to her you know, oxygen mm-hmm. tube. Um, the way that she in that incredibly fragile state repeats lines to Hawk, like, Hawk, can you hear me? Hawk, can you hear me? And it's a very sort of obviously, I mean, clearly she's saying both can you hear me physically and also like are you understanding 
Like, am I, mm-hmm. am I getting through to you in a, in a deep way that is necessary? And then the other line she repeats is, she says, my log is afraid of fire. There's fire where you are going. There's fire where you are going. She says that again. And it communicates this sense of really intense um, concern for Hawk's welfare while she herself is dying. And there's just, I, I just think there's something really beautiful and tragic about the way she keeps going out of her way to try and yep. help and it's, save it's him very, while she is probably not savable. Yeah, it's very clear that she has very little time left and she's not only using that time to communicate these things to Hawk, but she's saying things two or three times and making sure that he understands. Like It's, it, it's at great cost to right. whatever she has she has left as a person yep. and she's giving it to him and it, it, it plays really well. Yep, I agree. Um, it's really, it's yeah, it feels really meaningful. Uh, so uh, that character, Jesse knocks on the door, wants to show Truman his new car, and that's that's the end of yeah. that. But I don't really... It's kind of funny, I guess. <laughs> maybe his car is going to be really cool and like have, have Cooper in it, and yeah. that's why he wants him to see I it. I thought for a second maybe it was like a sort of implicit code, but it didn't seem, didn't seem like that's how it was played. So probably, right. probably not. Uh, all right, well, the, 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 I think the only thread we haven't talked about yet is... Cooper and the Mitchum brothers, which was another, I thought, amazing yeah, whole sequence in this episode. Holy shit. I thought it was just hilarious and good. Cooper is called into uh, Bushnell's office, and we learn that the Mitchum insurance for I had actually kind of been assuming that the Mitchum fire actually was insurance fraud. Um, yeah, but I guess it's and th- not. That's what, and that's what Dougie had found. I mean, yeah. we'd said that last week. We said, oh, okay, that makes sense. I guess that must have been what he was outlining on the piece of paper. Uh, we were incorrect. Yeah. there There is a huge <laughs> web of insurance fraud, but seemingly it is just coincidence that the Mitchums are criminals. I mean, unless they, unless it was a totally unrelated fraud and they're just really good at pulling it off. That was the other, that was the other thing that occurred to me was like, maybe it's just a coincidence and there's just two insurance there could be Frauds a crazy double-double yeah. cross but going whatever. on. Yeah, it maybe. It doesn't matter. Point is, they, they're not part of directly part of that big overarching conspiracy, and so Cooper, as Dougie, gets to go give them the good news and the money. It's obviously the gag of this character. It's sort of the point. And I, I understand, obviously, this is just how it works. But the fact that he that by this point everyone around him is so accustomed to the way he works that like the chauffeur of the limo, for instance, who has already driven Cooper around before, um, mm-hmm. just kind of knows that he has to like physically lift Cooper's legs into the car. And then when he lets him out, he has to like pull him. Out. Just everyone around him is weirdly aware that this is. I like, like how- Bisbee dragging him along by like with the, the carton of lattes oh, that, was that so he's funny. using that to was like really, really to good. lure Dougie into the yeah, office. Yeah. Uh, but but everyone but meanwhile everyone is fully adapted around him. Yeah, but he's also entrusted with a check for thirty million dollars. I mean, yep. it's just a ridiculous. I just it's just a completely <laughs> absurd juxtaposition yeah. of facts. But uh, yeah. that's just how Dougie rolls. Me, we see Cooper meet up with um, Bushnell with Tony, kind of walking by and peering in nervously. Uh, we see all that before we first see the Mitchums themselves in this episode yes. who are eating breakfast at like 2.30 p.m. Being outrageous, weird babies, yeah, being baby men. Yeah, they're totally the hor- like the horns of this season. They're oh, totally yeah. the I, Ben I and Jerry like horns. We, t- we yeah. talked about that last I know, episode but this or episode two episodes ago. Just blows and it is, that, that out. is cemented for sure. Yeah. They're, and they're doing a great job. They're doing it right. Yep. Yeah, there's um, <laughs> with Rodney and then I always forget their names. It's Rodney and uh, Bradley. And Bradley, I guess, is sitting there just being like, I can't wait to kill this guy. Um, But he is the one who actually, even though he's the most like ready to to kill Dougie, he's actually the one who ends up having like he had the dream the night before because he says he dreamt about killing Dougie and then says, I can't wait to kill that guy. Then it seems like the more more he thinks about his dream back to him. Yeah. And making him sort of think twice about it. Um, I really liked all that stuff. I thought I thought Belushi played it really well. I think he's putting in a really good performance. I think both of those guys are putting in a really good performance. Yeah. Uh, They're doing a great job. It's, very, it's just purely enjoyable to watch. Dougie 
before going into the limo sees oh, right, Mike sure, yeah, and hears yeah. the Mr. Jackpots like uh, Bad Lemony jingle <laughs> yeah. and goes and his boss is like where, where are you going uh, as Dougie walks away like just, I guess he, he comes into the coffee he, he comes shop back with a big box with the box pie yeah, in it yeah. and then the next thing that we see actually is Dougie's journey out of the city which has that that very slow Viva Las Vegas cover as yeah, there's yeah, the yeah. sort of one point perspective shots driving through the strip yep. um <laughs> I, I didn't know what to make of that, but it was it, so not Twin was, Peaks, but it, but it it worked for me. I thought it was very Twin Peaks season three, though. It was very Twin Peaks season a three. Slightly, that's true. That's true. A, a slightly obvious needle drop that is still somehow effective uh, of, <laughs> of playing a cover of Viva Las Vegas as we go down the script. Yeah, but um, then it sort of just turns into um, man. It's really funny that we were talking about. Twin Peaks as opposed to Breaking Bad in the last couple episodes as a, because this felt very aware of the fact that it was oh, a yeah, Breaking Bad setup. Oh yeah, it's just a setup. scene from Breaking Bad except that obviously went in a direction that Breaking Bad could never possibly go because it was about a guy with, though with the <laughs> same with the same results as Breaking Bad though. Oh, with the character escaping pro- a fate of death. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Our protagonist yeah. shows up and by way of what effectively is a Deus Ex Machina, but in what the is world basically of Twin an Peaks, implicit superpower. In the case yes. of, of you know of Breaking Bad, his superpower is just one: he's brilliant, and two: the universe kind of bends itself to his will. And then in this and case, then, Dougie's superpower is he's Mister Magoo, and we live in a world where crazy dream visions tell people what to do. Where crazy dream visions tell people things that are also perhaps being manipulated by right. an alternate Exa- dimension exactly, where a yeah. one-armed man yeah. will be trying to protect this this guy as he magoos his way through the world. Yeah, but the the limo dragging a guy out waiting with the two guys with guns who are waiting there to kill him and then because of an exact clockwork set of of devices he ends up not only making it out of there but gaining the upper hand over over those guys is such a breaking bad setup mm-hmm. uh the but even breaking bad aside it was also just great so before before we get to that actual shot you know or that's that mm-hmm. that culminating scene Mm-hmm. The most baffling thing in this entire episode it, to to me happens uh-huh. in the Mitchum's car on the way out when Bradley rips the forehead wound off of Rodney because in oh, his yeah. dream Candy's the wound that Candy inflicted on him had healed. What on earth is that supposed to mean? Was it a, a cosm was it a like fake wound or was he ripping off a scab it made me wonder like when he ripped it off it was like makeup yeah and it made me wonder like going all the way down to like when candy hit him with was was it with a remote that she hits him with did it just have that thing affixed to it like did she was this like is this an outrageous con assuming that these guys are total idiots it looked or was it just surreal I, I can't I honestly can't figure it out. I do not even have a theory. I don't even have a working assumption. What, what yeah. the, when he when he peeled off the whatever it was underneath, it actually looked like there was a scar in the exact same place from the wound. It looked like a healed wound was underneath it. That there was just oh, a I little, didn't see that I at mean, all. I, Weird. I, maybe it was just an artifact on the video, but it looked at least to my eye, it looked hmm. like a vertical little scar line. That was in the same huh. place the more visible wound previously was. So it looked like a really complex, intentional bit of makeup work. But I, but I also just have absolutely no idea what were what was meant to have happened yeah. in that moment. It was it was baffling. Uh, but the way that the characters themselves were baffled by it. Uh, but they move on. They okay. move on pretty quick from that. Yeah, I mean they're baffled, but they don't sit there going like, "What? What? My head? No, like that's true." If that happened to me, I would I would be trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, it's it's a TV show, so whatever. I guess that's true. They don't care. I guess maybe what I meant that is the way that the show moves on from it made me not fixate on it, and I had to the point that I had forgotten about it until you just brought it up. I had the same theoretical reaction. I was like, "Oh, the show isn't lingering on this, so I guess it's just what happened." But I don't understand it at all, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Anyway. I, I don't have a theory, so there's no point continuing to talk. But um, yeah, so, what a thing. Yeah. So anyway, they go to they go to uh, the restaurant that I that I assume is the restaurant that the limo driver didn't expect them to actually go to, but claimed to Bushnell they were going to. That seems that seems correct. Yeah, Santino's, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a 
a notable thing. Every kid should have a gym set. Yeah. Chris. So yes, that was what I wanted to talk about because that scene cuts in where they're saying to Cooper, your kid doesn't have a gym set, which implies Cooper just said anything to them that would have been comprehensible for them to react to, <laughs> which is not something right. that we as the audience have been trained to believe or expect. Well, he even responds blankly, gym set. So how did they how did they come to, the, to a, such a complex like bit of English language as we believe I, your child not to own a gym set? I don't know. That feels like it's just a total gag on top of yeah. all of the Dougie conversations. I, that's all. Just I like, can assume only that is only what it good is. Good luck yeah. to you guys trying to backport how <laughs> how the Mitchum brothers managed to like Extract paint themselves this into this exact yeah, spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, either get information from Dougie or, yeah, just put themselves in a situation where they believed he said anything useful right, where to them. They they sort of echo off of him and keep inferring things that somehow paint this meandering road <laughs> to your kid doesn't have a gym yeah. set. Everyone should have, every kid should have a gym set. God, do you think that, <laughs> do you think maybe his kid's name is Sonny Jim and that somehow, like, he, because... <laughs> Oh man! Has he ever said that uh, hopefully, phrase before? I can't remember. Has he said Sonny Jim? I don't know. I wonder if they somehow got got uh, to knowing that his kid's name is Jim or talking about Jim. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Or Sonny, and then no he responded. Like if they had said Sonny, he might have said Sonny Jim. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Who knows? It's, this is a ridiculous <laughs> thing to discuss further. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out in season three of the missing pieces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway. They they toast, and uh, Cooper sort of goes into a... Well, the piano player changes what he's playing, right? Uh, yeah, when it started, I thought that what was happening was Cooper was, like, hearing the world in slow motion, but I think but I think actually you're right. I think the piano player just changed what he was just playing change, to a slower change the tune, and Cooper slower gets tune. kind of introspective in a way that we don't understand quite what it means, but then the Mr. Jackpots lady from the casino shows up. Yeah, yep. Looking, looking With the, fab. Look, looking great. She's got the her her life's back together now that she got those jackpots mm-hmm. from Mr. Jackpots. Yep. Which is and the, a funny thing about that is that she is like, she's describing a situation that actually took a huge amount of money out of the pockets of the brothers of the sitting Mitchens. at that table. That was just kind they're of they're in such a gregarious mood right yeah, then though just that so they're just happy about it. About it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just yeah, I just enjoyed even, that even though that is more of more of Dougie's quarter a million or half a million dollars that he walked out of there with wasn't it like four hundred thousand dollars yeah 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 yeah. i mean i guess he just gave um, them a check for you know 30 million yeah. that they did that they thought yesterday they weren't going to get um and they just love this guy they just love him yep pleasure to meet you dougie jones they love him yeah i mean i hope <laughs> they realize what a special person they have in their lives <laughs> he changed your life yeah i have a little dog oh, a special, I what have a special a person they have dining with them I love that she says, I have a little dog as an exploit as like just shorthand for my life's going really well now. Yeah. I have a little dog. I, know, I yep, have a house. Yep. It's good. Uh, I also really, I continue to like against all, uh, I never would have expected the character of Candy to be a consistently fascinating character. Candy is fascinating and it's impossible to know why, yeah, but she is. Yeah, because those characters are introduced as such like a throwaway sort of background noise, which is how the other there two are still aesthetic. treated. Yeah. Um, but Candy's, the performance of that actress, I, I mean, or just like in the way that it's, she's written, is so strange and intentional, and it is just totally unclear what to make of it. It's it's just fascinating because it is so inscrutable. Yep. Especially now, given that, she may have somehow falsified or forged a wound on him. Yeah, I have no idea how that connects. I'm not even taking it for granted that that even connects to her directly. I can't. I am so no. Although she gave him that wound. No, I know she that's did. From her I, no, I understand him. that. I just mean it might be that 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 wound was real, but the dream reality possible made zone, it false. White right. Lodge, whatever the, thing, like healed it. I the, don't know. I guess I guess it, it, from a from a higher up view, the way that Candy is interconnected with all of this is so unknowable, and she like yeah. triples down on the unknowability of it by the way that she acts when questioned about any of it. Well, like in yeah. this case, just there was so much traffic on the strip; it was incredible. Which also we know is patently false, given that we saw. We saw oh, I guess that was an hour or two yeah, who, previous. Who knows? So who knows? But, but th- that doesn't the, the specific details of like the reality of how much traffic 
there was on the strip is less interesting to me than the way in which she related that incredibly mundane and uninteresting fact of there being traffic on a busy road uh, because she she's like she almost she's enraptured as she says. It. I mean, it's amazing. It was like an it was an amazingly powerful moment, given what little she was actually talking about. And I it makes me wonder all these different things like the way she delivers her lines, the uh, you know, her the wound she inflicted with which eventually weirdly disappears. All these things together make me wonder if she also has some relationship to the whatever the alternate dimension is, you know, the lodges, the zone, the, to what, the lodges, what, whatever. Yeah, it, the, her, her disconnect and especially if it is related to that scar, to that wound disappearing, it does have like sort of vague echoes of like when Donna first meets the Tremonts and she, and the old woman is right. talking about how her son is a magician or like, they're just talking about nothing. Yeah. And then also that's a good reality that's a really is sort of weirdly pull. changing around her. Yeah, that's true. Um, Things disappear, but yeah. Yeah. But who, who knows? It just, there's definitely more going on with candy than we have any way of divining right now. And it's really interesting to watch. Well, and with, cause yeah. yeah, she does, she does just seem like a character who almost is just not existing quite in the same plane. Exactly. As the rest of the yeah, plot, yeah totally. Yeah. She seems like she's almost yep. inhabiting like an additional reality on top of the one that is being filmed. Yeah. Yep. I mean, even, then, uh, even going back to the moment where she actually strikes, uh, whichever Mitchum, that was with the remote. I mean, it almost seems like she's just in her own world. Anyway, sorry, what, what yeah. were you about to say? Oh, just the, the, the next thing is that I guess she or they serve Dougie some cherry pie. Yeah. Like she well, gets she, introduced and I she, think she's there she to cut bring, the hand of the she pie. She brings the food and then, yeah. se- and then there, she explains there was so much traffic on the strip, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And Cooper flips uh, out over this pie. He fucking loves uh, it. That, this has been like, God, the, the, the Dougie tease and the sort of the Cooper interiority awakening. This was the most like extravagantly and also most nuanced, yeah. pl- nuanced uh, pr- version of that. When someone describes the pie as damn good and then Cooper to himself, like with a mouthful of pie says damn good and almost like sort of like looks to the side, like it, yeah. the echo of that was like the most powerful one of the, these by about infinity uh, in terms of Dougie, like the shell cracking for half ab- a second. And absolutely. Cooper, yeah. The, it was like, it hurt actually to, I know, <laughs> to watch. I know. Well, more importantly to listen to, I, any of the other Cooper as Dougie, you know, Dougie saying Cooper lines sound intentionally stilted. Yeah. This felt like he was agreeing with it. Like this, the way that a normal person well, would actually I mean, like, damn, it is damn specifically, good. Specifically what I'm saying is that if you just took the audio of Cooper as Dougie saying any of those sort of Cooper things, they would still mm-hmm. sound like a different perform, a different performance. Whereas this right. line actually just sounds like Kyle McLaughlin as special agent Dale Cooper. It just, yes, it sounded it exactly like how he would deliver that line as full faculties Cooper. Yeah. And, and you can tell that you can tell that Dougie slash Cooper realized that that happened. And the sort of aftershock of it, it lasts for a minute in his face and in his performance. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And then the, the whole rest of the episode is, I mean, it's largely consumed with shots of the piano player. Yeah. It's just, he shovels in some more pie than the piano player again, sort of changes in and out of that sort of slower, more um, contemplative, song and the, then the credits start running partway through his performance yeah, that's it this is one of only what two episodes that haven't ended with a roadhouse i think sequence? it's i think we're at three oh, i three, think we're okay. at three now okay. but yeah it's it's definitely still one of the outliers but one of those three still had a roadhouse musical sequence in it it just wasn't the ending right or my I- the very first episode doesn't end in the roadhouse then the second uh yeah, you're right. This is the this is one of the only episodes that doesn't have any Roadhouse in it at all, let alone a no Roadhouse ending. Uh, it still ended with a musical performance. Yeah, I saw a few people on the Out of Thumbs forum say that they had hoped against hope that that had been Angela Badlamenti, but it is I, not. I I know, I know. When it came up, that's exactly what I was what I was uh, what I was hoping for, but no, sadly not. Was but and Angela Badlamenti as himself. <laughs> but that was uh, that was a Badlamenti track, right? I mean, that's what we are. 
I think so. I didn't look in the credits to see, but my assumption was it sounded like it sounded like his there, style, there, or at least sort of. There was a track that was credited to him called "Heartbreaking," and it's okay. it very significantly said it was composed and performed by Angelo Badalamenti. So I so okay. I assume that's, that's what that was, and he just recorded the piano performance of it. And isn't the actor? Yeah, that that makes total sense. Yeah, the actor was very clearly not playing that actual music. It was just pretty clear to no, me from those. He was shots. just looking. Yeah. He was just being a piano guy on yeah, screen. Yeah. Um, well, man, that this I don't actually don't have a timer on, so I have no idea how long this episode has been. But, uh, but yeah, that was we 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 took a long time talking about this very very full episode of Twin yeah, Peaks. I loved it. I'm ex- really excited for more. Um, Same. If you, yeah, I mean, I guess on that, that's that's the episode. If I know we still haven't gotten to email for a while, but we will eventually. So if you have any thoughts about the season so far or the most recent episode at the time you write your email, you can send that to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com, and that has links to everywhere you can find us on the internet. If you like the show, um, tell a friend who's also watching Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, Maybe they will enjoy following along with us. And on that, we'll be back next week with part 12. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye.